0: Uh, We're going to be looking at a passage from Matthew chapter 6 and then from 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians this morning, as we reflect uh, on the living church and giving. We're going to be talking about giving this morning, so um, let's pray before we read from the word of the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we know that you are a gracious and giving God, and we give you thanks for that, and one of the gifts that you have given us is your word. Lord, we thank you that you have have chosen to reveal yourself to us uh, through these words of Scripture, so that we might come to know you, that we might come to know your design for this world and for our lives, uh, that we might uh, know, Lord, what your will is for us as we seek to follow you. And so we pray once again, as Dan said, that you would speak to us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would would Enlighten our hearts, or that you would help us to receive what it is you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, first passage is Matthew chapter 6, uh, we're going to be reading verses 19 through 21, and then verse 24. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then we'll turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 6 through 15. Paul writes, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This also is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're picking up today in our series on the living church. Uh, We're several weeks into this, and as, as we go through these sermons, we're looking at both what it means to be the church, what it means to be the people of God, As well as what does a church look like that is alive in Christ, alive in Christ, a living church. And undergirding all of this, all of these messages that we're we're looking at, is the belief that being a part of the church, with a capital C, is a vital part of the life of faith. That God is at work through a people and who are connected to one another through him. And the best way to be a part of the church with a capital C is to be actively involved in a church with a lowercase c, a local congregation like the International Church of Prague. That's the best way to be an active part of God's big C church. And the reality is that as challenging and difficult as church life can be at times, it can also be joyful and life-giving. And that's what it is meant to be. And that's what a lot of us experience here and most importantly, the way, it's the way that God has designed things. The life of faith is meant to be lived in fellowship together as the body of Christ. And when we isolate ourselves from the body, we miss out on the fullness of what God has in store for us in the life of faith. So get involved in the church. That's part of the message, what's undergirding all of this. Last weekend at our retreat, our our speaker, Steve Henderson, uh, taught from Romans chapter 12. He gave three three powerful messages from Romans chapter 12 about who we are in Christ, about finding our identity in him, and what it means to live in community, and how as a part of that community, we live out our mission together. And one of the verses from Romans chapter 12, verse 5, it says that in Christ, we belong to one another. In Christ, we belong to one another. It's a great image for church life. I think sometimes we, we Western individualists have a hard time with that idea that we belong to one another, and yet this is what God says is his design for things, that we in Christ belong to one another. Our lives are meant to be lived alongside each other, shared together in some way, and that's what the church is about And as we live this life in fellowship together as a body, there are also things that scripture tells us about what that life should be like, what should be included in it. What are the characteristics of a living church? If you saw a church, if you looked at it, how would you know if it was alive in Christ? What would be the things that you would look for? And so that's what we're talking about over these, uh, ser- this sermon series. And so far, we've talked about how the, uh, the church's identity and task, this is the first sermon we talked about, and we've talked about worship, and we've talked about evangelism, sharing the good news as the characteristics of a living church. And today, we're going to be talking about giving. Generous giving is an important practice in our lives with Christ, and it will characterize a church that is alive in Christ. Now, I, I want to say, whenever preachers get up in front of pulpits and start talking about giving and giving generously, I know that there are some skeptics out there that think we're just trying to meet the budget, right? And that's, that's what the point of this is. That's not what it's about this morning. So if, that, if you are thinking that, just put that aside for now. I promise that's not the point. This is about your life in Christ, and how to live faithfully before God, a life of discipleship. It's about you and the Lord and us together as the body of Christ in the Lord. Uh, giving generously is something that God has called us to. John Stott, in his book, The Living Church, which we are sort of uh, letting guide us through this sermon series, singles it out uh, for a chapter as one of the important characteristics of a living church. But more importantly, and the reason he includes it in his book, is that we see it as something that was practiced and prioritized in the New Testament church. That giving generously was something that was talked about time and time again. And if you read through the New Testament, you're going to see that. Paul, in his letters, is often commending the church that he writes to for their generous giving. Thank you for your generous gift, for giving to the work of the Lord, for supporting the work of other churches outside of your own thanking them for contributing to what God is doing in the world. And in the description of the early church that we see at the end of Acts chapter 2, which is often what stands for our model of a living church from Scripture, along with worship and prayer and fellowship, we find giving generously as being one of the main practices that characterized them. Acts chapter 2 verse 45, we're told that they were together. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They shared everything in common with one another. This was a church. This was the the very beginning of the church. These were the people who, who had received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And they were starting to meet together. And they understood the grace that God had extended to them in Jesus Christ. They understood what it was that they had received from God in Jesus Christ. And their generosity was the overflow of what they had received from him. So much so that they said that they saw their their possessions as belonging to one another. And they sold and gave to people as they had need. So we have two main passages that we are looking at this morning. And the hope is that what we will walk away with today uh, is a new consideration for our relationship to our money and possessions. How do we relate to our money and possessions as Christians? And also, the importance of giving generously as the church. And you might pray that all of this holds together as we go through it this morning. What Paul has to say about giving in 2 Corinthians is both the motivation for it and why we do it and results from it. And our Matthew passage talks about how uh, giving generously is a matter of the heart. And we're going to be looking at that first. So before we get to all of that, though, I want us to consider our relationship to money and possessions and wealth in general. Does anybody know who these two people are? This comes from a movie, it's an American classic. If you've never seen it, that's okay, uh, but it's one of my favorites. We watch it every year at Christmas time called It's a Wonderful Life, okay? The one standing up is Clarence Oddbody, AS2, or Angel Second Class, okay? And he has been sent to help George with a very important task. Now, It's a Wonderful Life is a great movie that has a lot to say about what it means to lay down your life for the sake of others and the gifts that come from that. I wouldn't suggest you base your theology around this movie and what happens in it. But the reason I put these guys up here today is because there's this great scene, this scene right here, and Clarence says to George, I've been sent to help you. And George says, there's only one way you can help me. You wouldn't happen to have 8,000 bucks, would you? And Clarence says, oh, no, no. We don't use money in heaven. And George says, oh, yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting. Well, it comes in pretty handy down here, bub, right? Amen, George. Amen. I like this quote because it's both funny and because it's true right? I think we can all relate to some degree in what George is saying. It it represents a tension that we have in the Christian life about our money and our possessions and what sort of relationship that we are supposed to have with them as followers of Christ. What sort of relationship are we supposed to have with our money and our possessions and our wealth as followers of Jesus Christ? There's good reason to believe that what Clarence says, and it's a wonderful life, is true. That money won't be needed in heaven or in our eternal life with God that we look forward to as Christians. If there is money in our eternal life, then certainly, Lord, please let it be so, that the economic realities of our eternal life must be different than what we experience here and now. We wouldn't imagine that the inequalities of this world, the volatility of the markets, or, or the simple toil of earning a living that are part of everyday life for many of us will exist in the life to come. The point being that that the things that we own in this life, our money and our possessions, our, our stuff, aren't going to be carried by us into eternity. They don't carry that kind of value. You can't take it with you, as some people like to say. And if something doesn't have eternal value then maybe it's worth us asking, what value should it have for us in this life? If it doesn't have eternal value, what value should it hold for us in this life? And yet, the flip side is that what George Bailey says is also true. It comes in pretty handy down here, Bob, right? Money is simply a practical reality of this life, We need it to function in society. We need it to pay for our necessities, for food and for clothing and for shelter. We might even include transportation on that list. And and even much of what we do to enjoy this life costs some money. And life is meant to be enjoyed. The life that God has given us is meant to be enjoyed. It would be nearly impossible to get along in this life without money in some ways. And so there's this tension that we face. Money and possessions are necessary, and yet we also know that we probably shouldn't get too attached to them or place too much value on them. So what does it mean to live faithfully in terms of our money and our possessions? What does it mean to live faithfully in terms of our wealth? This is one of the questions that we want to explore today. How should being a follower of Christ affect how we relate to our money and our possessions? It's an issue that the scripture speaks about a lot, and it's an issue that, that Jesus is concerned about. We see him teaching about it in the Gospels, and in fact, we see teachings about it all throughout the Bible. In fact, the Bible has more to say about economics than it does about many of the other hot-button social issues that we care about today, and what this tells us is that, that wealth and poverty and how money is used in society are, are issues that are close to the heart of God. And so we would do well to read and study scripture and apply to our lives what God teaches us about money in his word. If we are to take seriously our lives of discipleship, then this is something we need to think about. We have to include submitting our bank accounts to Christ's lordship along with everything else that we have and do in this life. We have to submit our bank accounts to God's lordship. Think about that. What does that mean? What does that look like? So what does scripture tell us about our wealth and possessions? But this is where things can get a little tricky. As one commenter says, and he was speaking specifically about Luke, but I think we can apply it to all of scripture. He says, scripture speaks about possessions consistently, but does not speak consistently about possessions, right? Scripture speaks about possessions consistently a lot, but it doesn't speak consistently about possessions, what we're supposed to do with them. As we look through the gospels, we find in some places that people give up all. They have to follow Jesus Christ, right? They give up everything immediately. They left their boats and their nets and they followed Jesus, either voluntarily or because it was demanded of them by Christ. But in other places, we see that giving generously to the poor or making restitution for cheating someone is a, it's an acceptable response to the good news of Jesus Christ. We see in some places that Jesus' followers practice hospitality in response to him, even throwing big dinner parties. And the concern there is not so much the money that is spent, but on who is invited, right? Who is in and who is out. This is the important thing. But we also see that there's a rich young ruler who is held up as a negative example because of his unwillingness to sell everything he has and give to the poor. Jesus consistently warns about the temptations of wealth and its potential to become an idol to us, something that we worship, telling us we can't serve both God and money, as we saw it in our passage today, or saying it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And yet we also see people with wealth and influence being held up as examples of faithful disciples in scripture as well. And one of my favorite examples and perhaps the most confusing, Levi the tax collector meets Jesus and immediately leaves everything behind to follow him. And yet, in the very next passage, we see that the same Levi is throwing a big party at his house for his friends and Jesus and his disciples. So how does that work? If he left everything behind, how can he still throw this big party? It's confusing. We don't necessarily know. It's hard to know how exactly to put these teachings into practice. Are we supposed to sell all that we have and give to the poor? Not necessarily. Although, maybe it's worth asking ourselves the question. Should we feel guilty about living comfortably and having more than other people? Well, no. No, that's not the point either. Should we give more money away and spend less on ourselves? Well, for some of us, that answer is going to be probably yes. And for some of us, the answer may be no. You may be already giving all that you can. But it's, again, important for us to ask ourselves that question. Should I be giving more away? Where is the line between acceptable comfort and excess? That's hard to say. But again, worth asking the question. And the Bible doesn't necessarily give a definitive answer. I liked what one person said in a, in a sermon they wrote on generosity where they said, what this all means for your bank accounts and your insurance policies is something you have to figure out for yourself. right? We have to work through this and wrestle through this with God. What should we do? So. What does the Bible have to teach us about faith and wealth and possessions? Well, Joel Green, who teaches at Fuller Seminary, he's a New Testament professor at Fuller Seminary out in California. He gives us three points that are worth considering uh, from his commentary on Luke. And this is one that he says, Wealth is a temptation to prestige and security apart from God. And this is a matter of where we put our trust and our hope. If we live lives of excess then do we recognize our need for God and his provision in our lives? Wealth is an evil in and of itself, but we can never remain passive or neutral toward it. And he has this great quote. He says, wealth masters if it is not mastered. Wealth masters if it is not mastered. We cannot remain passive or neutral toward it. The second point is that uh, in scriptures, we see that wealth can't be separated from all aspects of faithful living before God. What we do with our money and our possessions and our wealth cannot be divorced from all other aspects of faithful living before God. And then point three, he says this, according to the values of God's kingdom, wealth and the sharing of wealth cannot be the basis for belonging and social status. In other words, we're not to judge or value other people based on what they have or don't have and based on what they can or can't do for us. And that's something that we often do as people. We value people based on what they have and what they can do for us because of what they have. And the scriptures speak against this. This is not how we are meant to value people or to see them. These are the three points that Joel Green brings up that the scriptures teach us that are important for us to know about. So, What the scriptures consistently teach us about wealth and possessions is that what we do with them matters for our life of discipleship. And what we do with them is reflective of our heart's posture toward the Lord. Certainly what we do with our money says something about what our lives are about. I've often heard it said that if you want to know uh, what someone's priorities are, or another way to say it is if you want to know where somebody's heart is, then look at their calendar and look at their bank account, right? Where they spend their time and where they spend their money is going to tell you something about where their heart is, right? What they value in this life and what they prioritize. In many churches where where an offering plate is still passed during the service so people can put their money in, there's a a prayer afterwards that the money that is given would be reflective of hearts and lives submitted to God. Living generously is a matter of the heart and where we put our trust and our hope. And this is what our passage from Matthew chapter 6 is getting at this morning. Where have we set our hearts? Are we storing up for ourselves rewards here on earth, trying to attain everything that the world has to offer as if this life is all that matters? Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or do we trust in the promises of God regarding what is to come for us? That in Christ, there is an inheritance waiting for us that can never perish, spoil, or fade In this teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is pointing us beyond what's right in front of our faces in this life to the eternal promises of God and saying, put your heart there. Set your hearts on that treasure that is waiting for you in Christ with God. And when we do so, it gives us freedom in this life. And that's what verse 24 is talking about. It says, we cannot serve two masters. We will either hate the one and love the other or we will be devoted to one and despise the other. And I love that Jesus specifically says you cannot serve both God and money. Try as you might, you cannot do it. If you choose to serve money in your life, you will not be serving God faithfully. If you choose to serve God in life, then money is going to have a very different place for you, a different priority. If we serve God alone, then our money and wealth won't master us. They won't dictate what our lives are about and how we live and all of the decisions that we make. And then our resources through us can be put in service to God in his kingdom, and we will be free in that way. Perhaps some of you know what it's like to serve money, to have your money and wealth master you. To feel like you are a slave to your wealth and possessions. Perhaps some of you struggle with that right now. And here God is saying, No, serve me alone instead, and then you will find freedom in this life, at least in that way. So, where are we putting our trust and our hope? For Jesus and Matthew, what we do with our wealth and possessions is a matter of the heart. So, we need to start there. Where are our hearts? Where is our treasure? And then we move to the passage from 2 Corinthians. And here we find some of Paul's instructions on giving generously. And what Paul is doing here, what he's writing about in this specific passage, is that Paul, when he writes to different churches, one of the projects we see he's working on in the New Testament is raising money from uh, from some churches to give to other churches. The churches in Judea, in the place where, uh, where Jesus had lived and where most of the disciples had come from, were impoverished in different ways. And so Paul is trying to get other churches who maybe have more resources to give, to donate, to send to churches who have less. And so that's what he's writing about in this particular passage, appealing to what he says in Romans, that in Christ, we belong to one another. And we can't just simply look at the needs of others around us or even people far away and say, that's not my problem it's not something I need to worry about right Paul's saying no and he even says this with a certain sense of expectation that there's a responsibility for them to support the work of churches in other places uh, to, to help them flourish in the way that they are doing so And so what comes from this is in Paul's teaching are five different things that I picked up on on the whys that we should give why should we give and what happens when we give? So here's the first point uh, for us, wise and the wise of giving. And This is what Paul's talking about. We give because of who God is. We give because of God's character. And I think it always comes back to this. This is what we saw with evangelism as well, that we, we share the good news of Jesus Christ because of who God is, because God wants people to know him and come to, to, to salvation in him. We give because of who God is. God is a generous God. God is a gracious God. One of the things that we believe as Christians is that everything we have comes from God. Everything that we have is something that God has given to us. Our gifts, our talents, our money, our possessions, our wealth, even when we were born, the families we were born into, the places that we live, all of this comes from God. And so when we look at what we have, we have to say, look at what God has given to me. But we also look at what scripture has to say about God, that he has lavished on us, grace upon grace. We read passages that say, so great is the love the Father has for us, that he has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And in one of my favorite verses about God's giving to us, it says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Right? God has given us everything we need, and especially through his son, Jesus Christ. And so when we consider how we are to live as disciples of Christ, then we have to say, well, God is a generous God. So we should be generous people in response to that. Paul talks about it in this passage. He said, God is the one who is able to bless you abundantly. He talks about the one who gives the food and the seed, the seed and the bread. God is the one who gives that for us and restores that for us. And at the very end, he talks about the surpassing grace that God has given you. Paul is saying, look, you have a gracious and generous and giving God. And so be gracious and generous in response. And that brings us to point number two. Why should we give? Will we give as our joyful response To God's generosity to us. It is our joyful response to God's grace. See, one and two are tied together. We look at who God is, right? But then we also want to respond to that. Are we grateful for what God has given to us? And if so, then that should bring us joy and a response of thanksgiving. It's that it's the overflow of God's love in our hearts that brings us to give. And I love that that verse that Paul has there at the very beginning where he says that we should all give as we have decided in our own hearts to give. Because not reluctantly or under compulsion, that's an important part of that, right? If you're giving, right, gritting your teeth, I'm doing this because I have to, because God commands it, well, then you need to go back and do some business with God about where your heart is, right? It says God loves a cheerful giver. We should be giving out of the joy that God has put in our lives and in our hearts, We should give according to that. So that's point number two. We give because it's our joyful response to God's generosity to us. Point number three, we should give out of a genuine love and concern for other people and for their well-being. And again, this is something that Paul talks about here, that that we see the needs of others uh, around us in the church within the body of Christ, and we want to meet them because we recognize that these are people who were created in God's image these are people who, for whom we belong to each other within the church. We recognize that God loves and cares for these people. And so in Christ, we want to love and care for them too. So we give out of a genuine love and concern for other people. And then point number four, to contribute to God's work in the world. We want to participate in God's work in the world. There's a practical piece to this, right? Right? Paul is working to raise money for a very specific purpose to help support the churches in another part of the world. When we give, there is a practical piece to this. It actually helps people when we give, as long as we're given to the right places and you, the people being responsible, uh, people you're giving it to are being responsible with it, right? But it helps meet people's physical needs. The hungry are fed when we give. Right? The homeless are housed when we give. The naked are clothed when we give. People who are in bondage in different ways. Are helped to be set free when we give. And not only that, but when we give, we also send out people who take the gospel with them. When we give to the church, evangelists are sent out into the world with the gospel so that people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and respond to it. So when we give, we are contributing to God's work in the world. And then point number five is this God is glorified when we give. There is a witness piece to our giving that's important for us to to take note of, right? It doesn't just provide, Paul says that. It's not just providing for people's needs, but it overflows in many expressions of thanks to God when we give. And he goes on to say that others will praise God because of the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. This is verse 13. And what we find here is the same idea that Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount when he's talking to his followers about being the light of the world. He says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. When the actions of our lives line up with what we claim to believe about Jesus Christ, there is something about that which God uses to draw people to himself and to bring glory to himself. According to Paul here, it leads to praise and thanksgiving. And so when we live generous lives, when we give generously out of the abundance that God has given to us, then God is glorified. And what I love about all of these things that we see, these five points that I've pulled out of Paul's passage here, is that in some ways we can boil it down to the greatest commandment, that we are called to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind, and you're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so when we give generously, we are doing both of those things, right? It's an expression of our love for God and our love for our neighbor. So these are the things that Paul is instructing us to do. But then in the midst of this, we are blessed, friends. In the midst of giving generously, of living generous lives, we are blessed. And Paul talks about this, right? Now, I want to be careful and say that this is not sort of uh, what some people would teach on, where it says, give a lot, and then God's going to give you more than you gave. That's not the point here, right? And if you're giving for that reason, we're going to get back to this again in a minute, but if you're giving for that reason, you're not really being generous, you're being selfish, right? Okay, so it's not the point. Let me give $5, and then God somehow is going to give me $20 back. Excuse me, crowns. I'll speak in terms of crowns, right? That's not the point, The point is this, that God's design for our lives is that we are meant to be generous people, people who have our hands open with our possessions, to give things away, to share with others, right? And in this life, whenever we live according to God's design for things, when we follow his commands, then it is going to be good for us right? It's good for our lives, and we flourish when we do these things. Now, one of the things I love is when we can actually point to things in life and say, oh, look at how God, what God says is lining up in real life, when the truths of scripture are born out in real life. Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson, they're sociologists at the University of Notre Dame in the United States of America, and they did a research study about 10 years ago on the way that generous giving or living generously affected people's lives. And they published their findings in a book called the paradox of generosity, right? Because sometimes the conventional wisdom is if you give generously, well, that actually makes you unhappier because you are, are, are going to miss out, right? You don't have as much for yourself and that's going to make you unhappy or not have enough to provide for yourself. So they said, well, let's look at this and see what actually happens if people start living generous lives or if they already are living generous lives. Does it benefit people? Does it hurt them, right? Does sharing your resources with others leave less for you and make your life harder, and therefore, you're less unhappy. And here's what they found, right? Now, granted, this was a study in the United States, so it may not perfectly apply everywhere else, but what they found was this, that living generously, meaning giving money, uh, volunteering, sharing your time and your resources with loved ones and with others, they all significantly and positively correlated with people being happier, having better physical health, A stronger sense of purpose in life, fewer symptoms of depression, and a greater interest in personal growth. And conversely, living selfishly or holding on to everything for oneself and consistently trying to get more and more of what the world has to offer had the opposite effect. People were less happy. They were less healthy. They had less purpose in life, right? There are real and tangible benefits to living generously to sharing your resources with other people. It is good for you. Now, there is a catch in what they found in this sociological study, what we were talking about before, and the catch is this. Your generosity has to be genuine. Your generosity has to be genuine. And they found this in this sociological study as well. If you live a generous life because then your life is going to be better, if that's your motivation, then again, you are being selfish and not being generous. And you don't get all of these benefits that they're talking about. So it all comes back to a matter of the heart. It all comes back to a matter of the heart, right? Do we give because our treasure is not here, but it is in heaven? Smith and Davidson sum up their findings. Generosity is paradoxical. Those who give receive back in turn. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own. And letting go of some of what we own, we better secure our own lives. By giving ourselves away, we ourselves move toward greater flourishing. And this is not only a philosophical or religious teaching. It is a sociological fact. I love that. But what Smith and Davidson found to be true is in line with what Jesus himself teaches, which is that the true life that is offered to us is found in giving ourselves away for his sake. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, Jesus says this to his disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Right? Jesus says the same thing. Lay down your life for my sake. Give your life away. And when you do that, you will find the true life that you were meant to live. Giving generously is a part of all of that for us, is bound up in that giving ourselves away. So to sum up this morning, a few points. A living church will be characterized by generous giving amongst its members. A church that is alive in Christ will be characterized by generous giving amongst its members. Okay. Point number two, what we do with our wealth and our possessions is a part of our discipleship. And it's a matter of the heart. Where is our hope and where is our trust? A question that we always have to ask ourselves. We say we trust God and we're just storing up more and more wealth for ourselves. Well, do we really trust God? It's a good question to ask. Next point. We give generously as a joyful response to God's generosity towards us. God is a gracious and giving God. And so we give in response to who he is and what he has done for us. We give generously out of genuine love and concern for other people. We want to value other people's lives in the same way that God does. We want to recognize the fact that in Christ, we belong to one another. We want to love each other as Christ has loved us. And so giving generously is a part of showing it that way. And the last point is this, because we give, because when we give generously, God is glorified. When we give generously, God is glorified. As we leave here today, there are a few different responses that I I think are are possible uh, from this message. Hopefully more than anything, it will lead us to do the work of the heart in submitting our wealth and our possessions to God, to learn what it means to be obedient in this area of our lives, and through that to lead us to a deeper knowledge of God and his gracious provision for us in all things. The point of this sermon is not to be an exhortation to give more. It really is not. But rather to encourage you to reconsider your views about money and possessions in light of the good news of God's kingdom and even in light of the cross and of the resurrection. How does the fact that Jesus Christ died for you and rose again to give you eternal life, how does that affect the way that you see and use your money and your possessions? And how does it affect the way that you see other people and the way that you relate to them and share with them? Again, it comes down to being a matter of the heart. I'm reminded of of Galatians 2.20 where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, Jesus Christ offers each of us new life in him, a peace-filled, joy-filled life. But that life can only come at the expense of our old lives and all of the things in that old life that we cling to, including our money and our possessions. As C.S. Lewis liked to say, nothing can be resurrected until it has been put to death. Nothing can be resurrected until it has been put to death, and that includes our attachment to our material possessions. And so may God give us freedom in his son, by allowing us to let those things go for his glory. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, you are a gracious God. And you have lavished upon us grace upon grace. You have given us everything that we need and more. We thank you for the gift of your son especially who died on the cross for our sins that we might have eternal life with you. And Lord, we know, we know and believe that you have offered us an eternal inheritance in him, one that can never perish, spoil, or fade. But Lord, it, it is hard. And sometimes we get distracted in this life and we get anxious and we get scared and we feel that we need to store up for ourselves things here in order to take care of ourselves. So would you remind us of all of the promises you have given us through your Son? Would you help us to to open our hands, to share and give generously of all that you have given to us? And Lord, we pray that you would be glorified as we live that way. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.